So we really need this balance in the system where it's not too much, um, but it's not too little, just right. And if we do that, we probably don't think twice about our pelvic health. But I tell you what, if we're not balanced, it's extremely consuming and has a massive effect on quality of life and self-esteem. Women Like You, the podcast for women who hate working out but know they should. I'm Gab, I'm an audio producer and journalist. And I'm Sarah, I'm a GP and I work in fertility and women's health. And we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we're on today and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Today we have a very special guest joining us from Sydney Pelvic Clinic. She's an amazing physiotherapist who specialises in the pelvic floor Angela James, welcome to the pod. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yay, yeah, we have been dying to speak. <laughs> oh, great! This, your name literally came up, I think, at the the very the very first <laughs> the very first guest that I said that I wanted to have yes. on the show yep. was yourself. Oh. Um, and, uh, right. and why is that? And full disclosure, and I and I reminded Angela this morning when we uh, when we met uh, when we met downstairs. I've been one of Angela's patients, oh. and uh, and that's totally fine. Happy to talk about it. I uh, I actually came to see you'd be a couple of years ago now, with uh, with coccyx pain, so uh-huh. tailbone pain. For yeah, because you're an arseless wonder. Yes, because I am an <laughs> arseless wonder. Um, I'm you'll see very very flat at the back here, and uh, and you were incredible. You you identified my extremely hypermobile hips. Mm. You gave me exercises that. I actually did follow yes, and do, <laughs> and and it improved. Like it improved so much quicker. I'd I'd been living with this pain mm. for for months and months and months, and one consult with you, a set of exercises to do, and I was so determined because I was just in so much pain. Yeah, and it was just really uncomfortable to sit. Um, and every time I go to your house, I'd be like, "Can I have you, a cushion? Can I have please? a cushion, please?" Because I couldn't sit on anything hard. Um, and Didn't it was you buy like a bum cushion. I for did. Work I, as I, well? I bought a bum cushion for work. I paid it forward. I pa- I passed it on Pass to one of the nurses at work, and then she said that her butt pain got better and she's like, do you want your cushion back? I'm like, no, keep it. Pay, it, pay it forward, pay it forward. Um, but you were an amazing communicator. The whole team at Sydney Pelvic Health were just were just oh, wonderful. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, and I was like, she's a legend. She is the person that, that we, we need, need to, to talk, talk to. to. Oh, well, thank you so much for that. And thank you for inviting me. I'm always happy to talk about anything to do with the pelvis. So, Well, yeah. I mean, tell me then, how did you get into this? Because, I mean, I'm assuming you started off going down the physiotherapy pathway, but then how do you kind of... Pivot. Yeah, how do you... Yeah. What, what moment happened where you're like, you know what, there is a need um, mm. and there's a, obviously an area that I can specialise in here, which is pelvic floor and, and obviously, yeah, coccyx as well. Yeah, so, yeah, coccyx sits under the the pelvic health banner for sure. Uh, I thought I'd be a sports physio. I was a mad keen hockey player going through school and I had intentions of being like an Olympic physio for the hockeroos. And then I did sports physio and I just didn't <laughs> like it. I really surprised myself on how much it didn't grab me by my heartstrings. Yep. And I think I need to care about yep. my work mm. and I'd like to care deeply. Yes. And so when I pivoted and tried pelvic health and I had one of my first 
patients who had a condition called vaginismus, mm-hmm. which I'd never heard of. We'd never um, learnt about that at university um, and what her struggles were and what I found out she needed from me and we sort of worked our way um, around the problem and she ended up being able to return to pain-free, comfortable, pleasurable sex. I just thought, wow, that impact is so much more than just fixing an ankle sprain and that was it. I've never looked back since and that was almost 20 years ago now. Yeah, and I, I'm still hooked. I absolutely adore this this area. Fantastic. And and it's vaginismus just as a as a side note for, for anyone listening is is a condition that can result in, in essentially like muscular contractions of the of the vaginal wall during intercourse can make intercourse extremely painful. I see women with it frequently in the in the fertility scene. Um, and it's something that women are afraid to ask for help for. It can feel really, you know, frightening to to put your hand up. It can really affect people's relationships. So I imagine that mm. you know, as a as a point of entry into the type of physiotherapy that you yeah. that you do, that would have been a really powerful moment of it improving really someone's quality of life. Absolutely. And I knew that she couldn't get that help from anywhere else. So it made me feel really helpful. Um, and I thought, wow, this is a lane that we're really needed. And there wasn't many pelvic health physios around at that time. There was actually no one more senior than me um, to ask around this particular condition. Um, so I knew that there was a massive gap. And when we started to fill that gap, and of course, we've done much more training and refinement of our approach since then, um, more and more women come out of the um, woodwork with um, different conditions that almost have been waiting for us to get our skills together to be able to manage the um, the, the things that they've been suffering with. And the shame about a lot of them is um, they've been suffering for so long. So long, yeah, yeah. And they don't have to. Yep. So part of our mission is also to raise the awareness through podcasts like this so women can identify with the symptoms and then seek effective care earlier on in their journeys. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we've spoken about this on the pod before. I, I've never been diagnosed with endometriosis or anything like that. I don't think um, I'm heading down that pathway or have ever been. However, I, I have had pretty chronic um, period pain across my life, you know, and, and certain episodes that are so painful. I am vomiting, you know, diarrhea, every, like it's awful, can't, can't move out of the bed, no painkillers work, can't even keep a painkiller down because it, you know, comes straight back up. But anytime I've gone to see a doctor and no disrespect to doctors, I, you know, obviously love them very much. I love this. Sarah's different. <laughs> Sarah is very different. But, you know, like a lot of male doctors, you know, the first doctor you can get into and they'll just go, oh, it's just part and parcel of being a woman. That's just that's just what it is. Yeah, just, um, just take, take, take it up. Suck like, it up, princess. But I'll, but I wonder I'll if they'd the say around. the same if they suffered with exactly. the symptoms. I just don't think oh, they exactly. could <laughs> dismiss it so lightly exactly. if they had an experience of what it actually feels like. Totally. And how it impacts their function. Absolutely. And oh. I think that's, that's probably why... Um, women have kind of put up with a lot of these kind of things for so long is because every time they have, you know, ventured out bravely to go, I think I need some help. Um, Like even Sarah, you know, it took you a while to actually find Angela to go, okay, I've got a problem and and nothing seems to be working and anyone that I've gone to doesn't seem to be able to help me. Um, It takes, yeah, it, it, it can. It's probably the reason why sometimes we sit on these things. Pardon the pun. Can be a little demoralising. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, and you're just it, making it up. You know, and it, it can be mm. really embarrassing. And you know, unfortunately, a lot of what you would deal with on a day to day basis is still shrouded in shame. Mm. It's still you know shrouded in 
taboo. And it's, I mean, it's 2022. It doesn't help, does it? It doesn't no. help. We need to, you know, we, we need to have an open dialogue where we can really start talking about vaginal health, vulval health, yeah. rectal health, sexual health, sexual health mm. without uh, without feeling... Cringing or yeah. feeling embarrassed or I shying still, away from these really critical functions in our body. They're just normal functions. But if we continue to dismiss and normalise high level of suffering, mm. it's not getting us anywhere. Um, so we need to say, look, these conditions are common. Um, you're not alone, um, but you don't have to accept it as it is. These are the things that you can do to help um, and guide people in the right direction to actually help them um, you feel better, um, function better and and feel supported in that. Mm. Um, it's, it's not hard if you tune in and you listen and then you do your job well. Um, we've just got to be listening more and caring more and being more effective in how we deliver healthcare, you know? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I 100%. Mean, you're also yeah. an incredible mm. woman saying that. Um, I, and, you know, I know that uh, many of Sarah's patients have said the same thing about yeah. her as a doctor. Yeah. Um, you actually both listen and, and take the time. Um, I still giggled when you said vaginal health, though, let's be honest. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> shall we get into some of our juicy let's, pelvic floor questions? Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, you've sort of touched on um, a, f- a few of these already, but I guess what are some of the most common issues women have with pelvic floor that, that they're coming to you for? So it probably sits in two buckets. So you've got uh, conditions where the pelvic floor is weak and conditions where the pelvic floor is tight. Oh. Um, where the pelvic floor is weak, you'll have things like incontinence. So that could be urinary incontinence. It could be faecal incontinence. It could be not controlling wind. Um, it could be pelvic organ prolapse where organs fall down into the vaginal space and sometimes further out of the body. Uh, And then with a high tone or tight pelvic floor, you'd have problems coordinating, emptying your bladder, emptying your bowel, because you need to relax those muscles to do those two things well. And also um, you'll have pain with any type of penetration. So um, fingers, tampons, um, speculums or, or or, or vaginal penetration with sexual function mm-hmm. um, or um, vaginal birth. So we really need this balance in the system where it's not too much um, but it's not too little, just right. And if we do that, we probably don't think twice about our pelvic health. But I tell you what, if we're not balanced, it's extremely consuming and has a massive effect on quality of life and self-esteem. Yeah, wow. It's really interesting you say that because I'm just thinking about some of the things that you're talking about right now and I'm like, hmm. Maybe maybe I'm either sort of either too weak or or not strong enough. Like I'm yeah. going mm, some of those things, but I'm just because I'm I'm the only um, experience that I have of of having a pelvic floor. Mm. I guess maybe sometimes you don't really know what to compare it to, like what it should mm, be. Yeah. What's the benchmark? If yeah. that makes sense. What's, what's normal? Mm. And where am I? And that's the thing you you don't know until you've had some sort of an assessment. You can't really see it. Um, sometimes people can't even feel it. You can't identify and work out where you are on that spectrum. And that's the role of the pelvic health physiotherapist to identify, you know, where are you in your pelvic health and what do you need to do to find that balance and maintain that balance over your lifespan? Because as women, we have a really unique journey in our pelvises. We have periods. They can be painful. We can fall pregnant. We may have a baby. We will go through menopause. And all of these um, things will have an impact on our pelvic health and our pelvic floor. So it deserves a little more attention. Yeah. 
Yes, yes, yes it does. When you put it that way, it deserves a hell of a lot more attention. Um, if we think about, I guess, very generally to begin with, before we get into some more specific questions for you, are there any are there any things that you think a lot of women are doing or not doing that is having a negative impact on their pelvic floor health? So I really believe it's knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, empowering women with knowledge and moving away from the uh, shame script um, and more towards embodied pelvic health. So I know what pelvic health is. I know what my vulva is. I know what my vagina is. I'm not shy in saying the words. <laughs> <I'm> still giggling. <laughs> I know where my clitoris is. I know what my expectations are in terms of sexual function. Um, I know what bladder health is. I know what bowel health is. I think just giving women that sort of embodied knowledge where they better connect to the area and they can identify, I guess, when things do go wrong um, and seek healthcare and actually get yes. <laughs> results <Yeah>. results, <laughs> so that they can navigate their journey and not have this sort of excessive suffering. And you really do hear that all the time. Mm. There's this big bundle of suffering. And I think a lot of it comes from just not understanding, um, yeah, what normal function is and and how to navigate back to better, better pelvic health. Um, I think that's the main thing. Uh, there are other things like, you know, uh, you know, adequate fluid and fibre and adequate exercise and things like that. But I think the big um, issue here is empowering women with more knowledge about you know, their pelvis and their pelvic health. And some people don't realise how much it's actually impacting their day-to-day until it's gone. Until it stops, yes. Yes. (laughs) And they're like, wow, this is how other people feel? Gosh, I wish I did something about that earlier. Oh, and I I hear this every day in in women who finally get their diagnosis of endometriosis and through whatever through whatever avenue they seek treatment, and very often it's through laparoscopy and surgical excision of their endometriosis. But then, gone, yeah. one, and then they're like, oh, so this is what a normal period feels like. And and in truth, it's probably still, you know, in many cases, it may still be worse Elevated, period yeah. pain than uh, than perhaps what is average or normal. But but it's not until yeah. It's that, gone. that pain is gone that they get a real sense of, wow, I really have been putting up with this for a long time. And when I say putting up, you know, often they've been seeking a diagnosis for a long time. Mm. They've been 10 years it takes to diagnose endo. I know. It's a a shocking statistic, that one. Um, Hopefully we'll change with the new research funding. Um, Yes. There's a lot happening in that world, which is good. And pelvic health sits right in there too, because Mm. it's impossible to have 10 years of cyclical period pain and not have pelvic floor tension. Yes. You know, it's almost impossible to expect the pelvic floor to be in a happy, balanced state. Super relaxed. Yeah, Yeah, super relaxed (laughs) when every month it's um, having to contend with this, you know, Pain onslaught, uh, yeah. onslaught is a An good inflammatory word. Inflammatory process, inflammatory too. process. That's it. Mm. So um, that's a really important part of like more holistic management of endo. It's the surgery and then hormonal um, treatments, but also pelvic health physios in there as well. Exercise is also showing um, to be very effective in managing dysmenorrhea, which is period pain. Um, so there's more work to be happening in that space and we're figuring out what type of exercise. Great. Is it high intensity? Is it low intensity? Is it resistance training? Is it actually whatever you want it to be? Yep. As long as you're moving, that's probably where we're going to get to awesome. is whatever you like to do, keep doing it and don't stop. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I mean, this is a podcast for women who don't like exercising, but no, they need to do it. <laughs> so it's good to know. That's, yeah, just another reason why, um, you know, you can kind of put that on the list of pros of exercising. Yeah, helping sure. your period pain. Mm, yeah, you can. Absolutely. Um, Sarah, during this week, we put a call out on our Wiley socials for some questions for Angela. Um what uh, what were some of those questions that came right. through? So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna hit you with the first question. I might get you to do a little bit of explaining what that condition is before you uh, before you jump into some other um, some other information. So this question, and I'm sure she won't mind me saying it. This is from a very close close friend of mine um, who I love dearly, and she said, "What options are available if exercises aren't working?" In brackets, I have EDS and prolapse post huge baby. Mm. So EDS is Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and it's a disorder of connective tissue. So it makes you more stretchy and more flexible. And some people might think, oh, that would be great to be more flexible, but this is quite extreme. Um, So they are more prone to having things like pelvic organ prolapse, even without having a vaginal birth. Um, So that is difficult. uh, And having a huge baby is another risk factor for pelvic organ prolapse and pelvic floor muscle dysfunction. So I'd be curious to know what the state of her pelvic floor muscle is. Um, Sometimes when you have a very big baby, you can also stretch the nerve, which means that the message isn't going through from the brain to the nerve to the muscle. So I would be wondering if she had some sort of denervation. Mm -hmm. Pudendal nerve? Yes, the pudendal nerve Mm -hmm. um, is affected, which supplies the sphincters. Um, Luckily, there is uh, redundancy in the system. So the pelvic floor has got nerve supply from a a nerve um, higher up, the levator ani. But um, so that would be one thing that I'm curious about. And if she has exhausted the pelvic floor option, um, so I'd just say question mark, I I wonder. But if she has exhausted the pelvic floor exercise option, there is a really uh, effective device called a pessary. And the pessary is a silicon support um, for pelvic organ prolapse that sits inside of the vagina and realigns the organ. So lifts up the bladder, lifts up the rectum, um, holds the cervix and the uterus at the top of the vagina. Um, There's lots of different types. There's rings, there's cubes, there's gellhorns. Um, There's probably about 20 different types of pessary. So normally there's something for every one and it would be figuring out what suits um, your friend (laughs) Um, so that she doesn't uh, experience symptoms of um, pelvic organ prolapse despite having a weak or dysfunctional pelvic floor. And of course, you look a bit broader than that. So it's not just all on the poor pelvic floor. Also, leg strength is really helpful. Um, Glute strength is really helpful and lower abdominal strength. So if you're really flexible, you actually need strength training even more. So if you're a little stiffer, you probably get away with it. But excessive flexibility needs more effort to come back to a balanced state. So for her to to train her muscles in and around her pelvis will also be really helpful over the long term. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Are there are there occasions, and this is not specifically related to this question, but are there occasions when a pessary need not be a like a, a permanent option? Might might a woman, you know, perhaps this is a, a post baby um, pelvic pelvic prolapse post baby having difficulties? Um, is a pessary an option that she might use for for three months, six months, twelve months to to help achieve? pelvic health again? Yeah, absolutely. So 
everyone's different. A lot of patients will have, you know, a distended or a stretched pelvic floor, so they're not able to effectively support their organs staying inside of their body yet. Mm. So a pessary may be really good for that moment while they're regaining their pelvic floor Mm. function. Once they've regained their pelvic floor function and they're a little further away from the birth um, and they've got a little stronger, um, they're not breastfeeding, they might not be as tired, all these other factors that affect the way um, we feel, um, the pessary can be removed. And sometimes the pessary stays in the top drawer uh, just in case there's something else that happens. So a period of coughing, um, heavy lifting, moving house, child gets sick, need to carry them. So it can end up being this really useful device that you can use it when you need it. So you kind of stay ahead of the symptoms. Um, And this is a good example about empowering women with the knowledge and a tool Mm. that they can actually end up managing themselves um, to prevent uh, deterioration um, of a problem such as pelvic organ prolapse. Rather than just letting it sort of whatever happens, happens. Yeah, or another example would be, look, I have a weak pelvic floor but I absolutely adore uh, running or strength training. But every time I do that, I feel my symptoms. What do I do? Do I go, okay, I just accept that I don't do that anymore. And that comes at a consequence, Mm. right? So you're not doing the thing that you love. Maybe you're not getting bone density, fitness, mental health um, outcomes from that exercise. So no, you don't. You find a way of making that happen. And a pessary is a really good um, example of that. So you put the pessary in, everything's supported so you won't feel the symptoms, you go off and exercise, let the pessary kind of hold things in place, you finish your exercise, you take your pessary out, just like you would if you had a bit of a dodgy knee, Mm. um, but you loved, I don't know, skiing or playing touch football, you put a bit of a knee guard on to give you that Mm. support. It's the same concept. It's like strapping up your pelvic floor temporarily. Absolutely. So you can do what you love doing without being held back. Yes. Yeah? Yes. Brilliant. I love that. Me too. All right, what else we get on socials? This is another brilliant question. I love this. Do treatments like Esmella work more effectively than regular old Kegels for pelvic floor? Yeah, so Emcella is new technology. So EM is electromagnetic and Cella is Latin for chair. So it's a chair that you sit on um, and it sends electromagnetic energy up into the pelvic floor, providing involuntary pelvic floor contractions. Contractions. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) So it's helpful if you have a really weak pelvic floor and if your brain doesn't connect to the muscle and you just can't feel it. So for women that that is their case, they can be really hard to get started because if you can't feel it, you're not very motivated to do your exercises and you have that sort of negative cycle where I'm trying, it fails, I won't do it. It's a feedback loop. Yeah, so it kind of shortcuts that circuit and gets women feeling a lot more connected and confident with their exercises. So that that can be really useful for the right um, type of patient or right type of pelvic floor. Um, however, if you have a adequate contraction, then your Kegels or pelvic floor exercises are the best option if they're done in a way that's effective, which is largely based on strength training. So the thing that makes the biggest difference to pelvic floor muscle function is strength training the pelvic floor. And that would be most effective for an adequate um, pelvic floor. 
Excellent. Wow. Excellent. And it, it, that makes sense because I could imagine that that using a device like the Amcella allows these women then to understand what that what it should feel like when they are doing their voluntary pelvic floor exercises themselves. Exactly. So it's also yeah. sort of a bit of upfront training so that you then yeah. can continue your ah, exercise yeah. program external from, you know, from the clinic. 100%. Yeah, the that, that's exactly right. <laughs> so it's a kickstart for you then to take over. Mm. Um, that's the way you see it. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Fantastic. All right, we've spoken a little bit about this um, as well, um, but... We hear a lot about weak pelvic floor. Um, what about overactive slash hypertonic pelvic floor? What are the causes and um, things that we can do and things that we need to avoid, if that might be something that we're suffering from? Yeah, that's right. Um, so we see a lot of um, overactive, hypertonic type pelvic floors in our clinic. And what causes it is interesting. Uh, we've talked a little bit already about cyclical pain. So it sets the pelvic floor up to be tight, protective and sensitised. Mm -hmm. So that's one cause. Another cause could be gymnastics, oh. dancing, where we're taught to suck in and hold tight and not to relax and let go. Um, it can be hypermobile hips where we're having to use some muscle to help control that a little bit more. It could be trauma and that can be sexual abuse trauma or it can be psychological and emotional trauma where our pelvic floor is held in a protective pattern, almost like tucking our tail under and recoiling. Yeah. Um, so that's a another contributor, uh, emotional stress in general, excessive um, sitting, uh, bladder infections, chronic constipation, so many different contributors to why the pelvic floor is landed in that state. Mm. And to tell if you do have a tight pelvic floor, it would be pain with penetration. So not being able to feel comfortable with a finger, a tampon, a speculum or attempts at vaginal penetration. So that would really indicate that the pelvic floor is not able to relax for those tasks, those functional tasks. And the other couple of signs could be not emptying your bladder effectively, so stop-start urination, hesitancy to start, a sense of incomplete emptying. Um, and with the bowel, it would be the same, incomplete emptying, pain on emptying, um, never feeling completely finished. Mm -hmm. So people can have one or two of those symptoms or they can have all, all of them. Of them. Oh, mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about incontinence and what the difference is between urge incontinence, stress incontinence, and, and are they treated differently? Yeah, they are different. So both result in urine leaking the body. So both are distressing, not much fun. With stress urinary incontinence, that would be the most common, and that's to do with pressure coming down from above, so a sneeze, a cough, a laugh, and a jump, and the pelvic floor not being able to adequately control that to hold it inside the bladder. Yep. So it results in a leak. So symptoms would be typically leaking with skipping, you know, sneezed and I've wet my pants yep. type of scenario. Trampolining that Trampolining, I did last year. Trampolining, <laughs> yeah. Oops. Yeah, that's a perfect example of stress urinary incontinence where urge urinary incontinence is to do with what happens at the bladder. So the bladder 
uh, contracts and gives you a sense of urgency to get to the toilet. And again, the pelvic floor hasn't adequately closed the urethra to keep it inside of the bladder. So it's to do with what happens at the bladder first, right? So it would be I'm feeling a desperate urge to get to the toilet and I can't control it. Um, I get to the front door and I went to put the key in and then I'm leaking. Um, You know, I turn the tap on and I've got a desperate desire to get to the toilet and I'm leaking. That's urge urinary incontinence. And because they're different mechanisms, they are managed more differently. So stress urinary incontinence is largely to do with pelvic floor muscle function and coordination. So a good idea, say it was with sneezing, although sneezing's very quick, the expectation or normal function would be 250 milliseconds before you sneeze, your pelvic floor just reflexively contracts, you sneeze and it's done. There's no leak. Where sometimes the pelvic floor has lost this reflexive um, contraction, so it needs to be put in consciously. So you squeeze when you feel the sneeze coming on or the cough coming on or you squeeze before you jump. And that can be really helpful in addition to um, improving the function through kind of strength-based training. Sometimes there are other things that you need to do. Um, You know, menopausal um, symptoms can need estrogen. Sometimes having a little support device to give you more chance of sealing that urethra. Um, but largely that's the uh, approach with from a pelvic floor perspective. Where with urge urinary incontinence, um, it's actually, it's a bit more complex. And even the new research is showing how uh, much the brain impacts the symptoms. So you know when you're really nervous and you're desperate to go to the toilet? I remember at a swimming carnival, I I really am not a good swimmer. I'd give it my best shot, but I kind of hated swimming carnivals. I just wanted to get the point for my house, (laughs) you know? Um, So I knew I didn't need to go to the toilet, but I had to go like four or five times Mm. before I stood up on the blocks because I was so nervous. Nervous, So there is a really big connection between stress, nervous energy, and urge urinary incontinence. So that's new research that I guess we all intuitively feel. So sometimes rather than just treating the pelvic floor and calming the bladder down locally, we actually need to look at a little bigger picture and look at reducing stress and looking at what is contributing to this stress um, and breaking the association between tap running, key in the door. It's more behavioural interventions that are often needed for urge urinary incontinence. Wow. It's, I mean, it's not surprising at all hearing you say this, but it is really quite holistic in that sense of there's so many, nothing is separate from anything no, else, you know, no. it's all connected. This mind-body dichotomy <laughs> is, is a, it's a false narrative. Absolutely. Yeah, it's all one. Um, okay, so, you know, for uh, exercise sloths like Sarah and I and, and our loyal women like you listeners, um, are there any exercises or workouts that you think are harmful, harmful, but maybe not as good for women with pelvic floor problems? Are there things that we should be avoiding? Well, look, we don't like to take options away yeah. from women, but you have to have a sensible approach really when you've got pelvic floor weakness. So if you've just had a baby, you shouldn't be going for a run 
week one, week two, <laughs> week three, you shouldn't be returning to high-level exercise yep. within those first three months. So that would be sensible to hold women back from overloading their pelvic floor because if you push too hard too soon, you'll have more problems to fix. Wow. So please see a pelvic floor physio after you have a baby and figure out yep. what yep. you need to do before you go for that run. Wow, three months as well. Yeah, because there's yeah. so much, you know, there's, there's a big narrative around when women have children and my sister-in-law Elle um, sent us this in- incredibly disturbing um, uh, thing the other week about, oh, it was a few months ago now actually, about like a, a, a shake that's um, marketed for, for women who are breastfeeding basically to help them well, not even breastfeeding, just if you've had a kid, um, drink this like slimming shake to kind of lose lose the mummy belly quickly and all that kind of stuff. And there's a narrative around once you have a kid to kind of get back to pre-pregnancy oh, shape ASAP. Quickly. But yeah, but, but you're here saying, no, like, do not be doing anything oh, it's excessive. It's such a small moment of time. Take the time to look after your body and let it heal. Yeah. There's nothing more huge for your pelvic floor than delivering a baby through it. You know, it needs care and attention and rehab before you go and do some other things. Yeah. So, you know, I guess for women, if you're having symptoms, like if you're going to the gym and you're doing things or you're going for a run or you're lifting weights and you're leaking, you know, or you feel heavy afterwards, that would be a sign that you're pushing too far for your pelvic floor. And please go and do something about that. <laughs> you know, don't don't make it worse. Yep. Um, but equally, if you have a really tight pelvic floor, maybe doing thousands of sit-ups <laughs> and going to your dance class and sucking in really hard or doing any exercise and really drawing in your core strongly yep. is also not helping you. Yep. Maybe that's the reason that you can't have sex comfortably or empty your bladder after you've exercised. So again, it's working out, you know, most options are open for most people, but there are certain times of our lives that we need to take a more moderate, sensible approach. And if our pelvic floor has kind of, you know, gone to one end of the extreme, either weak or tight, um, it needs a little bit of a different approach, um, yeah, so that's probably a roundabout um, answer um, without giving specifics because everyone really is different. different every yeah. pelvic floor is different. Every body's different. Everyone's uh, likes and preferences are different. So it's figuring out, you know, how to put that together. So, you know, ultimately women are moving and exercising in ways that feel um, comfortable and good for them and doesn't compromise their pelvic floor health. That's kind of the balance we need to find. Amazing. I mean, I just love the fact that you said that doing a thousand sit-ups is possibly not a good thing. So I'm just no, taking that not. as a Even blanket statement. Even if you don't have a pelvic floor, <laughs> yes. it's not a good thing. It's gospel. Yeah, it's gospel. It's done. I will never, I will never do a thousand sit-ups. <laughs> I'm happy with that advice to be carried on. <laughs> so working in fertility, I have, uh, you know, I see a lot of women who have, who do have pain with intercourse, um, and we've we've touched on this briefly. How can a pelvic floor physio help these women? Yeah, so it comes down to that idea of looking at the contributing factors. You know, where does it come from? How, how does it play out? You know, how is it impacting the woman? Um, is it, you know, pain on initial entry? Is it pain with deeper penetration? Um, you know, we've got to ask all those questions around how is it affecting the woman because it's it's not one size fits all. You know, and then it's looking at an assessment to figure out what are the factors in her mind and her body um, that are influencing this. So often what you'll find if they've had painful sex for a long time, there is an anticipatory protective response. And often 
unconscious, involuntary. But women don't necessarily know by doing that, it actually sets them up for more pain. So getting them to kind of tune in to the way they're feeling um, in their in their body, so whether they're stressing out, whether they're feeling scared, whether they're feeling fearful, being able to breathe um, and then being able to let go of their pelvic floor. So that's that um, bringing the mind and the body together and rehabilitating from there. So sometimes women need to look at their skin. Um, there can be lots of things that contribute to painful sex in the vulval vaginal tissues. They're, um, you know, they're special type of tissues that need special type of care. Wow. I, yeah. That, yeah, was not expecting that. Yeah, so you need to look there. Um, you need to look at the pelvic floor. Uh, you need to look at um, the, 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 we call it biopsychosocial, so the, the influences of the mind. So I guess you're, you're hearing from me like the bottom up, so skin, muscle, and then top down. So um, thoughts, beliefs, fears, and yeah, and bringing those to be more balanced and allowing the woman to relax and reduce a protective response so that sex becomes normal, which normal sex is not painful. Yeah, wow. Pain is not normal with sex. Just want to say that again. I love that. I love so I actually love how absolute you're saying that yeah, as absolutely. well. This is not a maybe you know, sex a shouldn't area, usually yeah. be painful or sex shouldn't, you know. Sex should not hurt. And a lot of women will come in and they say, I just thought it was normal yeah. for it to hurt. Again, it's that thing of if we're the only version of this experience that yeah. you, you can possibly have. So I guess if you don't know what the benchmark yeah. is or what yeah. the, the kind of Hence normal the is. Yeah, that's right. right. If you're not having these conversations, I mean, you and I have yeah. wildly openly <laughs> frank discussions with each other in our in our personal time away from the mic. Um, and, I, and I think that it, it's very often generational as well, because I don't know that my mother felt comfortable having those conversations with her girlfriend when she was my age. Mm. Um, and and so even just starting that conversation with the people that love you and care for you, I think that's when women might start to understand that their experience is different and that there might be ways that they can have a more pleasurable experience with sex by understanding that maybe their friends are, maybe their sister is, yep. maybe other people aren't experiencing what they are going through and then putting their hand up and hopefully you know, making contact with a good GP who will listen to them and who will understand mm. and point them in the direction of an expert like yourself. Yeah, that that's right. And I agree. And your podcast is the same type of thing. It's raising the awareness of what is normal, what is not normal. And then hopefully, as you say, the first healthcare professional listens and points in the right direction because we've heard a lot of stories about women getting brave and then saying what the problem is and getting dismissed and so yes. they stop trying. Getting shut down. Yeah. Yep. So it, it, it comes from all of those um, levels. So conversations, knowing that you can have open disclosure with your with friends that you trust um, and then, yes, yeah, seeking healthcare and healthcare professions to listen, to understand, to assess and point in the right direction direction. If they're not the ones to treat it, that's okay, but please make sure you point them to the next person that has a good chance of helping them. Hmm. What I would like for you to do, if you're listening to any of this and going, oh, some of the things that Angela's mentioned today are possibly things that I've experienced. I want you to get 
get on the phone to your bestie and whatever the issue is, whether it's, um, hey, do you sometimes wee when you run? Or, hey, you know, is, is sex sometimes painful for you? I want you to ask those questions of your best friend and I want you to listen to her answers. And if any of her answers are like, oh, no, I never, sex is awesome. I never have, you know, any pain or anything like that. Then I want you to go, okay, maybe the next step is I possibly need to go and see someone. Because some of these things are so hard to bring up and you also just kind of go, oh, like it's embarrassing and I don't, I don't want my friend to think weirdly of me if like if I'm the odd one out and it's it's actually not that big of a like no. it's not that big of a deal no. and I can deal with it it's not that bad you know but no if any of this stuff has jumped out at you as oh maybe hmm. there might be something going yeah. on with my pelvic floor yeah because it can be better yeah right? you don't you don't have to suffer it life can be better it can feel different yes that that can be a challenge for the week is um, if any of this stuff is kind of, you know, ringing any bells with you, then then have a conversation with somebody that you that you love and trust and that you know that if, if she was to ask you similar questions, you would not judge her or you would want her to come to you. Ask those questions this week um, and then get help if um if the answer is no, that's not that's not how it is for me. Um just bring you back to exercise, Angela. Um and you did mention, you know, some of the stuff that we should be thinking about um, and, and certainly be, being conscious of when we're exercising. If we're feeling certain things, maybe it's, you know, maybe a certain type of exercise isn't what we should be doing. But um, should we, like if we've got quite a balanced pelvic floor and we're not, you know, experiencing any of these issues, should we actually be contracting our pelvic floor when we exercise or even just thinking about it? Because I just, um, apart from like Pilates, I honestly don't even think about it. And so I'm, I'm just I'm just wondering whether it is something that should be a conscious thing, like if you're going for a walk or a run or, you know, something fairly moderate, should you actually be aware of your pelvic floor and doing something with it? It's a great question. Largely, no. Okay, cool. Largely. <laughs> <laughs> My laziness wins again. <laughs> so it, it is a muscle that should be working subconsciously, you know, so it's involved in, you know, bladder and bowel um, containment, holding contents in. You shouldn't need to be consciously thinking about that. Like you don't need to be thinking about, hey, heart rate, go higher now. Hey, stomach, it's your turn to digest. These are um, controlled through our autonomic nervous nervous system. Uh, However, if you have a weak pelvic floor and you are looking to reintegrate it into movement, it can be helpful to be consciously engaging it at certain times in certain exercises to give you that level of support that you need. So that would be my answer to that. So if you have a normal balanced pelvic floor, great, carry on. Continue not to be conscious about it in normal movement because that would be considered normal. Um, however, for some people, it's really helpful to learn to engage it correctly uh, yeah. um, in certain exercises to give them more support. Awesome. Brilliant. So, Love yeah, it. So good. Sorry. So, yeah. <laughs> flawed. It's, it's, it's not often that the two of us shut up. Yeah, yeah so. it's just like speechless, <laughs> speechless. Um, you have been amazing. Is there anything else that you um, um, are really passionate about or that you, wanna, that you want women to kind of think about? Comes down to know your body. Please know your body. Know the vulva. Know the vagina. Know your clitoris. Know what good bladder habits are, know what good bowel habits are, know what sex means to you and don't be afraid to ask if you don't. Use a mirror, you be connected, like you check your face, we know to check your boobs, have the same kind of uh, strategy and approach with your vulva. You can pick up things if they're changing. You know, you've got the language to describe it to the healthcare professional that you see. Just 
have this concept of embodied pelvic health. I own, I connect, I'm familiar, you know, and I'm confident with my own pelvic health. That's what I'd love to see change. Amazing. Beautiful. Yes. Fantastic. Thank you so yes. much for coming and chatting with us today. I know that we've been we've been relentlessly pursuing you, um, <laughs> but uh, but for good reason. And I think anybody who's tuned in and had a listen will uh, will be grateful for all of the expert information yeah. that you've been able to distill today. It's been uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here, and uh, and I just ultimately I just wish we could clone you, yeah. and that we could have a, uh, a pelvic health expert in every general practice, in every hospital, yep. that there was better funding for everyday Australians to be able to access the services of pelvic health physio. And this is just what we'll have to hammer on the doors of the politicians <laughs> to uh, to achieve over the, the years to come. But from, uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, thank you. You've been amazing. Thank you so much, guys. I've loved it. I'm always happy to talk anything pelvic. So thank you for inviting me in. podcast is produced by me, Gab Burke, and music is by Hamish Camilleri. Thank you for listening to our little pod. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter at womenlikeyoupodcast.com. You! That was so amazing. Oh, I'm just like writing notes. I know, I know. <laughs> what an incredible professional. Yes, yes, yes. And please like, you know, uh, yeah, take take stock of what Angela has said this week and if something is slightly abnormal don't just put up with this shit you don't have to you can seek help and there are brilliant people like Angela mm. um, who can who can help you feel better and get better and not actually live with any of this stuff anymore. And if I can if I can actually give her clinic a bit of a plug. Yes. Uh, it's the Sydney Pelvic Clinic. Um, they also have a wonderful website. There's a lot of really good resources on there so if there was a subject that came up today something about incontinence something about pelvic floor tone that you'd like a bit more information there are some brilliant resources available at that website and there's also some excellent classes that are run through there so perhaps if it's not something that you feel comfortable yet doing on a one-in-one setting there or you're are, not in Sydney yeah or, or you're not in Sydney then uh, then yeah absolutely check out their website sydneypelvicclinic.com.au and uh, yeah so great resources there as well Awesome. Uh, next week mm -hmm. is episode 50. Get out of town. It is. I can't. Oh, seriously, that just blows my mind. 50 episodes. <laughs> 50, episodes. 50 episodes through a <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> through the. With, you know, the occasional episode with brilliant people like Angela and a lot of episodes just with you and me. <laughs> just talking Guess bagging shit. <laughs> well, 50 does feel like a bit of a milestone. Though. It does. It does. Yeah. And I have some exciting news to share. Oh, episode 50. Fantastic. You'll have to tune in next week to find out what that is. All right. I will. I guess I'll have to tune in because I'll need You'll to. you got it with yeah. you. Um, I'm Sarah. And I'm Gab. And thank you for listening. Thank you. We'll see yeah. you next week. Love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Big name in the water.